Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. Uh, once again, we've been taken over by Bad Idea. Uh, we'll blame that damn button and Adam Freeman. Uh, but it's actually a good thing, because for the first time ever, one of my favorite comic creators is joining us on the show. Matt Kent, welcome. Thanks for joining me. How's it going, man? Thanks for having me. God, it's been uh, so long that I've been following your work, and I can't believe we haven't had you on before. You know, we've met a few times at Valiant Panels and whatnot, San Diego Comic-Con and such, so it's great to finally have you on. Uh, I guess we should start with sort of what our listeners may be familiar with. You want to give us a, a rundown of, of things you've worked on and, and you know, what you currently have coming out on the stands? <laughs> Man, I don't know. The long list. Yeah, uh, we'll just start with the new stuff. I guess ENIAC is the, is the newest thing with Bad Idea and then Walesville. And um, uh, those are the two new books there. I guess the Pizza Detective came out today yep. for one day only. And I got a, a, the backup story in that. There's a, there's a, I thought it was eight pages. I might have made it longer. It might be more than eight pages now, but got a nice backup story in there that's that's uh, really fun. And then that's my latest bad idea stuff. And then uh, what else am I doing? Fear Case is uh, issue four is coming out or just came out uh, with Tyler Jenkins. And um, I'm sure there's something else I'm forgetting. <laughs> yeah, you're constantly constantly working. I first discovered you on on mind management over at uh, at Dark Horse. You had Department H on there, and if, if you guys are sensing a theme, that really seems to like conspiracy theories, big government, shadowy organizations. We're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about all that. But before we get into that, you know, so many of our, our listeners that join us for Bad Idea uh, Sundays are are you know diehard. They were diehard Valiant fans when Valiant came back. Um, and so many of those great creators and, and people behind the scenes at, at Valiant are now at Bad Idea, putting out just fantastic stories, um, you know, doing it in a different way to drive more traffic into uh, into comic shops. So let's talk a little bit about how you came on board Bad Idea. I mean, did Dinesh approach you? You were there from the beginning. You were all in, going back, making comments with your friends. Like, give us some uh, some background on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it started at Valiant with uh, Warren and Dinesh there and then they had uh, asked me to come in and write a bloodshot thing and then it just grew from there I I honestly wasn't doing any more work for hire I'd sort of quit all my work for hire stuff because I just wasn't I don't like the process I don't like it's all dependent on like having good editors that can protect you from the editors and chiefs who can protect you from the company you know right like let you tell good stories so I was sort of done with all that it's like there's too much there's not enough uh control you know I, I can't control like the quality of the story but uh so when i started working at valiant with warren um he gave me like the bloodshot issue zero just as like a tryout or whatever and and uh I, and i guess from his point of view it was like oh let's try it let's see what this guy's like to work with and from my point of view i was like i don't want or need this and uh and i like i have a an affinity for the valiant stuff from back in the day Mm -hmm. so it's fun but not not so fun that i'm like that i'm real excited to do work for hire again right. and so i try i was giving warren a tryout you know to see what he's like as an editor and see what valiant was like as a publisher uh and i was just going to do the one and if it wasn't good i would just i would uh, that's all i was going to do but i i had hit it off with both warren and dinesh and and, and then we just started doing more and and uh and i had a great time working with them and having fun in the universe and um and it was just a great working relationship i was like oh well it's not 
that work for hire doesn't have to be it can be good you know if you're if the whole team is good you know it's it doesn't happen very often but it happened at valiant um and then when they left that really was like the that was the thing that was keeping me there after so many years like i i uh i just like working with them um and so when they left i was like well that's okay i'm just gonna go back to do my creator own thing and um warren called me up and he's like hey we're we're starting this new thing um this is before it was called bad idea and we're they're trying to come up with names for it and and, uh um i was like yeah this it sounds good i love working with you guys i actually miss it like it's it was more of a collaboration you know it's to me it's like a like when you collaborate with a really good artist like there's a magic there that happens and then working with warren and dinesh it was similar where it's like i have these ideas and then they'll be like oh what about this what about that it's it's like a definitely more of a give and take with them uh with a lot of these ideas and so they they uh flew out to LA and met with them for a few days and then we just talked about the idea of the company and then what it was going to be like and what kind of books and like how we wanted to present them and and then what I what ideas like what stories and then when I came to that meeting I came to the meeting with like maybe 40 ideas like I was like here's these are the things I want to do things I've been haven't gotten to some things new things I've just put in there and and so we just we just went through the list of everything and try to figure out like uh what would work with the with the company and you know what kind of stories what kind of stories do we want to tell and basically it's what's great is like you can see the difference between something like Walesville and ENIAC and the breadth of of creative freedom we have is so great that we can do any story so there are a lot of stories that I was like I didn't know if they fit you know but everything fits if it's a good idea it fits you know and um and so I just started writing a bunch of stuff with bad idea and it's and it's just now starting to see the light of day but we've been working on this for a couple of years yeah and and, and the stories are fantastic and it's so great to kind of it's like you got the band back together uh and i'd agree with you so much you know especially with the corporatization of, of comics you know big giant companies owning the big two now and i so often i say uh, it just feels like the best creative decision is often diametric, diametrically opposed to the best business decision. So I can totally get where you're coming from, not wanting to work, do the, the work for hire. It's a, it's a different animal, both when Dinesh and Warren were at Valiant, and it's a different animal uh, at Bad Idea. It, it's that continuing idea of, of if it's a good story idea, and and it's that's what we're going to do. It's story first, and that's where a lot of these rules come in. And I, I think that's where there's a bit of a disconnect. So I kind of wanted to get your... Uh, opinion on some of the pushback you guys have been getting at Bad Idea about th- these rules. I mean, to me, they make sense. They seem to be created to get as much foot traffic into comic shops and help comic shops out and to, and to be sure nobody's hoarding the books or, or, you know, selling them for a huge amount of money. I mean, I know it happens, but the rules seem to be in place to, to not do that. So talk a little bit to us uh, about your opinion on on the, the structure of Bad Idea and, and this whole thing. Dinesh himself told me that I think that the disconnect with a lot of people, they don't understand that Bad Idea's uh, goal is not to sell as many books as possible and make as much money as possible. You guys just want to make good comments. Yeah, no, I, uh, and here's the thing, I, I, uh, I'm not super involved in the marketing part of it. So mm-hmm. it's like, I don't, they, a lot of it, I, when you guys see it, I'm seeing it, you know, and, right. uh, and, um, and, uh, with, but what I like is, I like the, um, I like the intent and I like the 
the uh, personality that the marketing has of, of like in in and I don't think it's like a little bit punk rock or whatever. I'm too old for punk rock, but, yeah. but it's a little bit that you know where it's a little bit uh, a little bit of controlled chaos, but uh, which I'm always for. And and uh, but I think I think our, everyone's heart is in the right place, and the idea is to get as many people into comic shops as possible. Mm-hmm. Like you, that's why there isn't digital. There aren't digital versions of it. You know, it's not because. Oh, we want these to be so rare and hard to get. It's because we want we want people to go back into get into the habit of going back to comic shops on Wednesdays. And if you've never gone in on Wednesdays to a comic shop, go in, go 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 in there and see what it's like and, and find the books. And and uh, so yeah, I don't know the little bit of backlash or whatever I see every once in a while. I, I was like, I just don't get it. You know, it's like I don't. People are talking about the books. People are excited about the books. Um, you you can order the books like the shops that are carrying the books you can uh, you know i call i call up warren i was like well, what's going on with these books like are people not able to get them he's like people can order them you you tell your shop that you want it and they'll order and you'll get the book like uh, there's no scarcity if you want to read the story um it's available you know and uh and so like i uh i like it i think it's i think that it puts it puts a little more pressure on retailers, I think, to be more act- active and interactive, and to be more, a little more hands-on. Um, and I don't, I don't mind that, because <laughs> yeah, I think no. here's the thing: is it, you know what's hard? Selling comics is hard, but you know what else is hard? Making comics is hard. You know, and doing it for as long as we've done it, uh, it ain't easy. We're doing it. You, you don't. You're not in comics for 20 years because you you are hoping to get rich make a ton of money you're in comics for 20 years because you you love comics right so that's what we're doing it for and and um and i think there's a lot of different approaches i think i've been in comics so long now i've seen all of it you know i was there for the the glut of black and white comics in the 90s you know and i was there for image when they first started and and uh not as a creator but i was there as a as a as a fan and a reader in those early days so, I've, but I've been tracking the industry my whole life, you know, and been seeing the ups and downs and the different ways people go about it. And I was like, well, this is, I, I think it's great. It's like new, it's different. It's uh, an exciting way to do it. There's how many comic publishers are out there, you know, trying to trying to promote their books or get people to look at them. And it's it's like, do we need another publisher? <laughs> it's yeah. like, I, the answer is probably not. Um, so then but so then why do it you know unless you're going to do something a little bit different um i don't know yeah no i I mean it's a good point because we say all the time the best thing you can do for a comic publisher for the creators for the retailers is to pre-order and that idea is sort of baked in with that idea you need you need to pre-order you need as a as a reader as a fan you need to do a little bit of work um but to your point if a local shop doesn't carry it there's plenty mail order if you want the books you can you can get the books you just got to do a little bit of work and you guys are even doing the not first print which Dinesh told me you're trying to keep in you know in print for a full year after the initial issue comes out so it's not scarcity it's just trying to change people's habits to get them to do what's best for retailers do what's best for the comic industry which is pre-order yeah no I, I think and if you do miss it you should build it your, the shop should be able to order it again and everything and don't rely on me for exactly how everything works I'm like honestly I'm so busy make writing <laughs> well that's but, what we yeah that's what we want you doing that i'm only half paying attention you know so if there's a problem i see questions sometimes pop up and i'm like i don't know yeah don't worry about it yeah. <laughs> they can get the book um 
Yeah, no, I, I, I just think it's a, uh, it's exciting. It reminds me of like a, uh, it really reminds me of um, when I first got into comics, and like it's hard, it's hard, it's hard to get people to pay attention to your book, to get yeah. them to buy the book, you know, to keep buying the book, or to, you know, there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of books out there, so anything we can do to, to get people, to even just hear about the, the book, you know, is a good thing. Yeah, the other aspect of this. Uh, it's not only, you know, I say getting the band back together. It's not only, you know, Warren and, and Dinesh and Adam Freeman, Josh Johns, all those guys. Uh, so many of, of the, the creators over there, you know, you got Joshua Dysart, you got Robert Venditti, you got, you know, Louis LaRosa. Um, was that important to you that, that these uh, these guys, because when I talked to Rob last, he was talking about how great it is to to be at a place where, you, the creators can bounce story ideas off one another. He, he was talking about missing cons because he's like, yeah, I don't get to, you know, see Matt in person. I don't get to see uh, Dysart in person and, and bounce the ideas off each other. So how important was, was that for you to have uh, these creators that you got to know at, at Valiant and, and work together? How important was it to, to know they were uh, on board at Bad Idea as well? No, it's good. It's really good because I know, like, we've all worked together in different ways and been writers or treats and, different, and, and have been friends. We kind of grew up in the industry together so it, to me it's just it's fun to still be a part of it and have the crew together and um but yeah what's we haven't met i haven't seen any of those guys in a year so <laughs> so i'm still missing it but uh yeah i'm excited for uh to get to cons again and then uh, see all the guys and and uh get back together but yeah it is it's it's like uh comics is such a lonely medium already like just the the every part of every aspect of it is basically you working alone on a thing you know and even if you're collaborating you're still at some point you're just sitting in a room for hours at a time weeks at a time you know trying to get this thing done and uh so it is it's important to have people you can bounce ideas off of and and um yeah i can't wait i would love to have like a bad idea uh panel some convention sometime yeah, that would be that would. It's from a fan perspective. Yeah, it would be it would be great. I mean, the, those Valiant panels back in the day were uh, were so much fun at San Comic Con. They were yeah. always packed too. So even even when they were, you remember the early years, it was always after hours, and they would still be the room would still be full. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, some of your work for Bad Ideas specifically. Obviously, any act number one was you know a, a big hit, and you know there there were shortages of out of Bad Ideas control, but it. It made for a lot of buzz, and it, it, in a way, it was good because you know people were talking about bad idea. But kind of the thing that that bothered me about it a little bit was so many people were talking about, oh, I, I wasn't able to get it, and they're manipulating the market, whatever. There weren't. I felt like, especially the day of, there weren't enough people talking about how incredible the story was that you uh, came up with. So remind everybody, what's the elevator pitch for uh, for ENIAC, and talk a little bit about developing the idea. Yeah, yeah. The elevator pitch is that there's a there's the very first computer developed in uh, in the 40s during the World, World War II. Um, this part is real. Was ENIAC? It's a bunch of tubes and and basically punch cards, and it was a way to calculate sort of like artillery strikes and different things. It was basically like a big uh, calculator um, that they had built and sort of programmed, pre-programmed to run math equations. Um, so I, that's a real thing that I was, when I was researching something else, probably some spy thing in World War II, I ran across that and I was like, well, that's, that's great. And so then the, the big idea is just taking that and exploding it and, and uh, with the idea that like, well, what happened if we hired like an army of people to program, pre-program 
this first computer with as much knowledge as possible and make it this giant thing and it became the first AI and then it's and then it ended up being responsible for ending World War II um, and uh, I won't spoil too much but the idea of it starting there and then being part of Earth's history uh, and politics from World War II to present day and it sort of doing something behind the scenes the entire time over all those years 60, 80 years um uh, with a bigger goal and a bigger mission that's kind of a secret and that we find out in issue four kind of what it what it was up to um so it's it's like all those base it's the tropes of like the evil ai and it's like oh and how, how do we defeat it and it's taking over it it's all of that stuff that we've seen i i've seen before and sort of twist putting a, a twist on it so sort of like meeting your expectation of like oh it's going to be an evil ai and then subverting that yeah, you really do a great job of, of keeping us guessing. You know, we had the, the third issue come out uh, about a week ago now. And, man, every time I think I might have an idea of where you're going, you kind of pull the rug out from under us. And, nope, turns out ENIAC is still who knows how many steps ahead. Um, yeah, yeah, we don't know what he's doing. I can guarantee you no one's guessing what – so far I've never, I haven't seen anyone guess what's actually ha- going to happen. Oh, so I think our latest theory that we had uh, when we talked about it last Sunday was that maybe any act is trying to commit suicide in, in a way because it thinks that it's it realizes that it's actually harmful to, oh, to society. You guessed it. Did I really? Guessed, no. no. Oh, damn it. I, yeah. <laughs> you, 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 no. Gotta, you just got to guess. But here's the other here's the other thing about it. The, the, the world that you've built is so rich. And you've done it so quickly. It's so tightly paced. Yet we still have character moments. Um and that's what I find so fascinating because in previous work, you know, I mentioned earlier about how you love to do this conspiracy stuff. You know, my management, Department H, even in Ninjak, introducing the, the Ninja program. Uh, and you, you've done it here so quickly. How much of that was a, a challenge to not have kind of a, a longer series to kind of flesh these ideas out? Yeah, it, it was actually hard. And it wasn't like the length of the series so much as it is the structure of the story, which takes place over, you know, a huge amount of time was it 60 80 years Mm -hmm. so i don't usually almost all the stories i tell almost everything i've ever written has always been like a couple years time progresses slowly like you you start at a certain point and then and then you're going day by day or week by week or or and you're following like a core set of characters for this one it's like it spanned spans 80 years and then the main character is an artificial intelligence which uh you know what I mean? Like that's not that's not a great main character. Right. <laughs> and then uh, so then how do you how do you have a human element or have human interest that can span that all that time? Uh, but also within in a very dense four issues, you know. And I kept adding pages. I kept telling Warren, I was like, we need more pages. I finished issue one. And I was like, and then as soon as I was done, and I re- read the thing, I was like, you know what? We need that. There was a five page scene that I wanted to put in and then there wasn't the room and then when I read it I was like Warren I was like we need that it needs it and he's like you're right <laughs> and so we added it because it's and uh so it was it's a uh, it was one of the harder things I've written you know just because I because the elements were totally different things I hadn't really messed with before and, and uh and I had the I had the basic idea is like I know where it's going I know what ENIAC's about and what's going to happen kind of but then how do you make that engaging you know all the way through that was a little, a little trickier for this one 
Also, yeah, having well, Doug on art really helped. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about Doug, Doug Braithwaite yeah. art in, in a minute. But, you know, again, to, to the point of, of, you know, working at a company where they're going to do what's best for the story. I mean, you go to, you go to one of the big two, I need five more pages. Eh, no, they're going to laugh you out of the room. So it's great that a bad idea you have the, the freedom to do that. Um, the other aspect of this is that, um, you know, again, talking about the, the conspiracy theory and whatnot and, and knowing that you're going to have to cover so much time, um, but you tie it in so many places to, to real world events. Was that always your, your plan from the beginning? Are you a big history buff? Because I always find that fascinating because uh, it's peeking behind the scenes and wait, that disaster was actually, you know, kind of tying into this natural tendency we have to think there are, you know, forces at work and conspiracies and whatnot. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm a huge history history buff, you know, and that's like World War II is one of my favorite eras in history, only because it's there's so many stories that came out of it, like so much great stuff happened, not just in like Europe or whatever, but all over the world. So it's like to me, that's I keep going back to that. And but then the older I get, the more I feel like now I'm going back further and further. And right, like I was like, what happened to the what happened to the Aztecs? You know, like I I love it's like I it's the stuff you kind of they skim over in school and then unless you take a ton of history so now i'm just going back and just digging deep into all of this stuff just because it's i'm fascinated by all of it um but uh yeah and then Ted, with the conspiracy I, I feel like to me history is a great canvas to work in you know it it, it allows you to like time travel in a way so i to me, it's not so much about the conspiracy or the the like what it what really happened kind of thing. It's more of just a way for me to like go back and sort of relive a thing or explore an excuse to explore some history and and figure something out and then like tell a story that sort of weaves into it, you know. Um, but yeah, and I think when I was younger, I was obsessed with like the Kennedy assassination, and I blame this high school history teacher I had was he was obsessed with it, so I blame him for my early <laughs> obsession of like like we it was all it was american history but like we had a whole oh, too much time spent just in like the, uh the, the candy part <laughs> you know and, and i and I, in hindsight i'm like that guy he was obsessed with like the whatever the second gunman or all yeah. this and i'm like he planned that seed in me and so for years afterwards i was like reading read the warren report and and delved into it and and then but then the older i got the more i started realizing i was like you know what it's like the Occam's rate. It's like the the simplest explanation is probably the right one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so the older I get, the more I'm like, sometimes things just happen. Some things are just weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah, life uh, is weird. Yeah, and uh, so I I'm less uh, less apt to believe in like vast conspiracies, but I, it doesn't mean I don't like uh, weaving stories in and around them. Yeah, when you're when you're doing your research, do you find yourself sometimes falling down rabbit holes? Like you'll, I mean, you're reading one thing and it leads you to another. To before you know it, you got like 50 browser links open. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's just it's insane. And I and then when I I've, lately I've been going to bed at night and listening to uh, something podcasts or video YouTube or whatever when I go to sleep and then uh, and I just go through these. You wake up in the morning. I'll go to bed listening to like Aztecs. What happened? the fall of the Aztecs. And then when I wake up in the morning, I'm in, I'm in, uh, Angor, Angor Wat. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> anyway, but it's something about that. I'm, uh, so I'm waking up to something completely different and, uh, what is going on? <laughs> but, uh, and then I got to go rewind it. I was like, now I got to know what, I only heard yeah. the first half and the second half. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, well, we you, we mentioned your artist Doug Braithwaite on uh, on Antioch. Art is absolutely incredible, and I feel like that adds to the challenge too, right? Because the story is so dense. If you were you could get even more story if you you put more panels on the page, right? But with Doug's art, we don't want more panels on the page. We actually want less panels. So it's trying to find this balance because we want to be able to see the details. So did you have him in mind for the story? Was that Warren's idea? Uh, talk a little bit about that, uh, Doug coming on and also how the collaboration has been. Yeah, yeah. We always have a talk uh, when we're, when the story is, when we're hatching the story, when I'm, when, when I'm writing it. So by the time I'm writing the first issue, I, I know who's going to be doing it because I, I think that's really important. Like you need to be able to write for the artists, you know, it's just mm -hmm. uh, because everybody's different. Everybody I've worked with is different, has different strengths. And um, so I knew that Doug was going to be drawing it and I knew that it was real dense. So I know that he's going to hate like the, the early stuff where it's just like a guy talking to another guy and there's a computer in the background. <laughs> like there's not, that was a real, a real struggle. I was like, I felt like the idea is great, but visually it's like, how do we make this visually exciting? You know, and it's like, I know I'm not drawing it, but I know that I do draw comics also. And I know that I would hate drawing this thing <laughs> the way, the way the original version of it, I was like, I don't know, what would I draw here? You know? And so that's part of it is trying to figure out like, what's the visual hook? You know, what's the exciting thing to draw? And, um, and there's an image of ENIAC that, that he came up with. I don't know if, I hope it's come out already, but uh, I think it's issue three, but it's just like these long tendrils of, of yeah, it's in it's issue two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, that's, I was like, well, there we go. That's, that's it then. It's like, that's, because what does ENIAC look like? Like, he's sort of a weird main character to have that's sort of nebulous as far as what he is. And, um, and, uh, and so that was that was interesting because I wanted to keep it grounded and keep it something real that could be could have happened to a degree, you know. Um, but also, had, we need something cool for Doug to draw. <laughs> and that's what issue four again was one where I kind of finished it, and I was like, "Boy, I really uh, I want more." I'm looking at it, I was like, "I want more." So I went back, and again, it, this is a great thing with bad idea. It's like, "Hey, let's add. Can we add like?" Uh, we add, I think I added eight more pages. Wow! Just to, just to be able to spread it out because it was it's so dense and like it didn't wasn't fitting in the in the format we had initially like sort of figured mm -hmm. and uh, and there's so much story and, uh, and we just wanted a chance for Doug to be able to like blow it up blow it out. Um, so there's like there's like six there's six pages there's there's three spreads actually that are just like when I wrote them, I was like, okay, this is three panels if you want it, it's two panels if you want it, or whatever you want, but they're wide, it's across the whole spread. Right. Um, and then times three, so three spreads that are just like, takes up both pages and reads all the way across, and, and he, and I was like, yeah, this is what, that's Doug's, the thing he's best at, is those big, wide yeah. shots, something super cool, and he does a great job of like, foreground background so there's like something interesting happening in the foreground with a guy who's like turning around yelling and then and then there's some big thing in the middle ground and then and then the way he stages it uh is just so good that um i felt like we owed it to him to give him like a little bit of a reward for all of the the dense storytelling he did earlier yeah well like to your to your point there's not always a ton of action going on uh doug's great at facial expression but he's great with camera angle um, so when you know when we zoom in on one of these characters, one of these uh, 
special forces soldiers that are trying to take out Antioch. It's great, and you can see the detail, but but you're right. Getting Doug to do something big and cinematic with multiple layers is uh, is where he shines, uh, and it's great. You know, you yourself, you mentioned as an artist kind of um, can understand, you know, playing to a, a, an artist's strength. Um, was there a lot of uh, back and forth for, for any parts of the story where uh, you thought maybe we'll lay the lay it out visually this way, and Doug's like, no, it'll work better that way. How does that work? Because you know, as as we just mentioned, you are an artist yourself, so oftentimes you probably have an idea of how you would draw it. Might not be how necessarily Doug would draw it. Yeah, no. <laughs> I let Doug. You know, I, especially knowing Doug's going to be drawing, right? So I I know that he he's so great at the camera angles and everything. He's going to make it cooler than than I'm writing it. Um, so there there was no there was never. A, time where I'm like, oh, maybe this or that. I um, I was like the only, there was only one sequence that was tricky and it was th at the very beginning and it's where they're in the desert and then and then we're sort of seeing at the end. It was the last page or two and it's where they're in the desert and then um, I think it was the last, I can't remember where, but it's where they're talking in the desert and then you pull back and then you see that there's like a reflection in this, some solar panels and yeah. then you pull back and there's a reflection in the mirror of the truck that they parked further away. And then you pull back and then you can see that there's a satellite that's basically like watching the mirror that's bouncing off of the solar panel, bouncing off to the them in the desert naked talking. Yeah. Know that ENIAC, now you see the ENIAC is, even no matter how far they go yeah. or how desolate it is, you can figure out a way to sort of see what's going on. Um, and that, that was a hard sequence and it was hard I wrote it and then I was like, uh, and then, and then uh, it was, uh, it took a couple of tries to get it figured out because also there's like color. We had to, we had, um, color had to help with it too because it's, it's not an easy, it just yeah. wasn't an easy thing to like get across in comics. It's like really hard to show that. Like if it was a movie, it'd be really easy. You just keep pulling back, pulling back, yeah. pulling back. But comics is different where the writer, the reader has to sort of fill in the gaps of like figuring out how much to show and, and uh, whatever that was, I think we all struggled a little bit with that, and then uh, finally figured it out. <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm glad you mentioned color because Diego Rodriguez, the the colorist, has he has captured the the mood that you're going for. This overall, the whole series, uh, as we're following these two special ops soldiers, we feel the menace that they feel. That Antioch is, you know, even I mean, you're, they're constantly like looking over their shoulder. He always is one or two or ten steps ahead, and he's he's showcasing uh doug's art so well uh but he has captured the tone and it's bright and and, and it's wonderful like he he's done an incredible job you have to just be thrilled with the job diego's done yeah no he he does a good job and and then coloring uh doug's art is is tricky too because with the doug does like enhanced pencil like it's not it's not ink traditionally you know so it's <laughs> it's like you the color has to be really good at what they're doing to let like let doug's art show through mm -hmm. not like muddying it up and everything and then but uh yeah they're just a good team yeah they're they're fantastic uh well i i'm glad that i'm wrong and not surprised that i'm wrong i don't know the ending yet so uh come come you know the first week of, of june i can't wait for, for the ending and then to be able to sit down and read it all at once is is fantastic and uh, god you know you could i would love to just have you do like a go back and revisit this story revisit ENIAC in, in some way even if it's just filling in those gaps, like a one shot, even if it's like one page after another going, ENIAC was behind this. 
any you know ENIAC was behind 9-11 ENIAC was behind the London bombing ENIAC was, you know in different ways that would be fantastic because I, I love that I love that part uh, there's one I won't spoil it but there's one thing that we find out in uh, in issue three that ENIAC was involved in that, that really plays into the story and it was just it blew me away because I remember that moment in history I think I was in like the sixth grade when it happened and it was, 1985 I won't spoil it either but yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just yeah. so, oh my God, when it happened. And, uh, and yeah, it was so, it was so cool. So. Yeah. No, I was the same. That was, I was probably, I was probably around the same age. Yeah. And that's why I put that in there because I, it's one of those, it was, it's like one of the first moments for me where it's like, oh, I remember exactly where I was at and yeah. what happened that day and everything. But. Yeah. I remember being in school and an announcement coming over the PA system and being like, oh my God, it's crazy. Uh, the other book that you just had come out same day as ENIAC 3, obviously Walesville. This is the the first all ages book from uh, from Bad Idea, and it, it, to your point earlier about the breadth of stories that you're you're telling there, and uh, we even had a second story, Rocks and Minerals. Um, so, I, I mean, they're they're so out there and fun. I don't know if you can sum them up succinctly, but kind of give give people an idea what these two stories are about. Yeah, well, Walesville is about a kid who gets uh, wakes up inside a whale. And then, uh, and he discovers that there's this whole little miniature city in there that these animals have built. So there's like a crab and sort of like a fish and and a pelican and some other little creatures, and they built like a little society for themselves, and they live inside this whale. And so this kid uh, doesn't really remember what happened or how he got there or what or or what's going on, and so he sort of interacts with the animals and and then eventually figures out, like I don't. I don't think he even knows he's in a whale at the beginning. He's not sure what's going on. And so he discovered, he slowly starts to figure out what's happened and then um, has to decide sort of how to escape or if he's going to escape. And and the other little animals have to sort of decide what they're going to do as well. I don't want to spoil too much. I, I, it's a, uh, and then, uh, so that's kind of the, the recap for that. And then uh, Rocks and Minerals is, uh, takes place at the end of the world. And the only thing living are rocks and minerals that have become sentient. So they're, <laughs> I don't know how to, I don't know how to make that sound less weird. Yeah. Basically like every, all the characters are different kinds of rocks, different kinds of minerals, and they've built up society. It's like, imagine playing the apes, but instead of apes, it's rocks and minerals. minerals. Yeah, that's a good way to describe <laughs> it. Fantastic. Well, I, it was wonderful. It, it really was. I was so happy to, that, that you were giving us an all ages book, the Adam Kalina art stylized and, and beautiful with all this detail. And so it was so great. So I, I got my hands on it, you know, the day it came out, but I didn't get to read it for several days because my daughter, my nine-year-old daughter was so busy and I wanted to experience it with her. You know, I wanted to experience it for the first time, you know, reading it together. And yeah. it was so great. So we finished reading it and she's walking around the house the rest of the day going, what's a whale? What's the way? Because there's this line in the book that because it's not only the boy, it, these animals that live inside, they don't even know that they're inside. They don't even know they have no concept of what a whale is. And when yeah. he, when when the little boy realizes it and says something about it, they're like, "What's a whale?" She was walking around the rest of the day. What's a whale, Daddy? What's a whale? It was so, it was it was so great. So, um, what was the the impetus for this? It was it just that that hey, we're at bad idea. We can do whatever the hell we want. I want to tell some some really fun all ages stories that are just kind of out there. Yeah, I had when I had the initial meeting with them, I brought those forty ideas. I uh, there was a handful of ideas that were young, or not not young. There were all ages ideas that I was like that I had come up with, 
and uh, and they sat there. These these two in particular sat there, and I hadn't done anything with them because I couldn't figure out visually like how to what to do. I couldn't figure out like how how to draw them, you know. And so I I liked the ideas, but they were like I was like I do like I just think they're too weird. Like I can't figure out how to visualize like with my art style or or how I would do it. I I can't picture it from idea to paper what I'm actually going to draw um, and so those ideas just sat there forever and I was like I just I like them I just don't know what to do I, and they seem kind of half baked or whatever and then right. uh, and I was like there's a re-, and there was a reason why I was like there's a reason why I'm not doing those and it's because there's there's they're just too weird <laughs> or there's something not right uh, but then when I had the meeting with Warren and Dinesh they're like they love those two ideas and I was like I was like what I <laughs> go <laughs> Well, I don't understand what you see in these. You know, I don't, I don't get it. I, I, uh, I was doubting, I was doubting it. You know, and then they believed in them so much that I was like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna write them, but I don't. You know, I'm just gonna go ahead and do it, but I don't see it. I still don't see it, and visually, I don't see it. So I, I knew that uh, uh, I was, I wasn't gonna be having to draw them. So I was like, you know what I'll do is I'm just gonna write it, and I'll describe what I can describe. And even when I was describing it, usually I can picture the page, like because I'm when I'm writing, I'm picturing like how I would lay it out and what I would do. For these both of these books, I was like, I don't, I can't, I have no image in my head when I'm writing it. I'm describing what's happening, I'm describing the characters, but I don't, I'm not seeing them. And it it was so weird. It was like it was like a drawing with my eyes closed. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. And so then. Uh, I wrote both stories and then they gave them to, one to Adam and one to Tony and the art started coming in and I was like oh my god this is like this is it's it was perfect it was like I think uh, I think I was holding my ability my art artistic ability is is uh, I'm in I'm in this lane and I can do this I can work within this realm right uh, and I think that's what I needed was I needed to work with artists who can work in this bigger space and can do think about it differently and come at it differently and aren't they don't have a preconceived idea in their head of what is possible or what I'm able to do you know they they do what they do and and so uh, the pages came in and I'm like oh my god it's working it really works you know and it's it's a and the story works and then but then they were able to they were able to figure out how to visualize these super weird ideas you know in a way that I I never did because I just couldn't figure it out. Yeah, and and the art is is fantastic. Um, Whalesville, you you can get lost in the details. It's so detailed what Adam has done and and the design. You know the the way the fish is you know kind of scooting around on a roller skate and rocks yeah. and minerals, just brilliant. You know there's a there's a there's a character that's that's like Flint Rock, and I won't say more than that. He's my favorite yeah. in, in rocks and minerals. He's so great for Tony to, to the way he visualized them and his kind of grrr kind of thing. It was just, it was just a, uh, it was just perfect. So, um, have you heard uh, from fans? Like, have, have have a lot of people been reaching out? Uh, and, and have you, do you have a sense of the, the reaction and, and how Walesville has been received? Yeah, it seems good, you know. And, it, and it's what's interesting about Walesville um, is that I wrote it with. Uh, as I was writing it, it it's it's the the elevator pitch is what it was right when I was writing it and then 
it's like a kid wakes up in a whale and blah blah and has to figure out how he's going to get out um but as i was writing it when i was done writing it, i was like oh it's really about it's about something else you know it's like that's the story but what it's about is this other thing which is for me the best stories are the ones where like uh, it can be about this other thing but it's not you can read it a different way and right. so i it wasn't until i was done writing it that i realized what it, what i'd really written about um and then i was like oh this is kind of it's sad and it's a little touching and everything and, and uh and i and i and then i talked to warren about it and he I turned the script in and he's like, this is great. He's like, it's all, it really is a metaphor for what I, and I'm not going to say what he said it was. Right. But I was like, I was like, no, oh, Warren, no, it's not. That's not it at all. That's absolutely not what it is. But then when I looked at it from his point of view, I was like, oh, it, but it can be, it, it, can is, be yeah. it can be that, you know? And then I was like, oh, it's, this is great. It's like one of those. And I wrote another story that was similar to this called three story. And it was like, it was for dark horses years years ago it might be 10 years old but it was about a guy who grew who grew three stories tall he's like a giant and it's just like what his life is like um as this giant guy or whatever um and then what was interesting about that story and what happened with Walesville is that everybody that has read it and given me any kind of like response they've gotten something completely different out, out of it you know it's like I wrote it and then I was like oh this is I can tell my subconscious was like dealing with this thing and this is what it is um but everybody that's read it has brought their own they've found their own sort of thing meaning in it you know and uh and i was like oh this is one of those kind of stories <laughs> where it can mean different things to different people but it's also just a fun story if your kid's reading it you know they're gonna be like oh that's cool and <laughs> yeah they're gonna walk around the house the rest of the day saying what's a whale <laughs> yeah 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 but but you're right. It's so great because uh, as as readers, as fans, we all bring our own life experiences. And, and what's so great, I don't think these kind of stories. You you as a writer, and please correct me if I'm wrong. As a writer, I don't think you can say I'm going to write a story that does this. That it means different things to different people. I mean that that's like trying to catch lightning in a bottle, right? Like it, it's so hard to do. It's it's got to happen naturally. Yeah, I don't. It happens. It's it really has to be an accident, you know, for it to really work. And that's why I, the only other book I've done like that is Three Story. And then when this one came out, I was like, oh, this is, I recognized it this time. Because Three Story, I didn't know until afterwards. And I'd never done a book like that. Um, but then after that, I was like, oh, I, I can see how, that's cool how that can work, you know. And then I recognized all that happening again after I was done writing it. I was like, oh, this is that. Just based off Warren's Warren's response to it. And, uh, but I that's what I think it is. It, it can't be on purpose, you know, and it can't be like some of my least favorite kinds of stories are like stories where it's obvious metaphors like Animal Farm or something like that. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, OK, I get it. The pig is this. The dog is that. The <laughs> There's like all these analogs that uh, and it's really about this other thing. I don't like that. I like an idea that it can stand and it is this. It is a kid who's stuck in a whale and he's trying yeah. to get out. Right. That's what it is. You know, but it also can be this other thing. <laughs> yeah, well, it gets kind of, it feels preachy when you're hit over the head with it, right? Yeah. Hit over the head with the idea. Um, and, and Walesville is, is not that. But um, the the last thing that I wanted to, to talk about Walesville, um, in terms of, of the presentation of it, it's such a beautiful book. Uh, you know, all of Bad Ideas uh, books have the, the highest production value. Uh, and this is such a great product. And you're getting to see... Adam Polina's art and uh, and you know Matt Hollinsworth colors and Tony Millionaire's art 
in such a great way. So as a creator, uh, you know, when you kind of put this this work out there, it's kind of like your 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 own child. How how gratifying is it to see that it comes in such a you know a a, a great package that has these great production values? No, it's it's really important to me. I I my first job out of school was graphic designer. So and I've, every book I've ever done, I've drawn, I've designed. You know, and even some of the ones that I don't, I'm not drawing. I'll design the logo or I'll I'll art direct the the way it looks, um, just because I, it's super important. Like the first page of the story is the cover of the book. That's that's the first thing you see. That should be the thing that gets pulls you into the story. So I think it really is like the most important thing. Um, and so it's great to be able to just hand it off to them, and then and then like the spot gloss and all the the printing and the cover stock and the all that stuff. I'm just a huge, I'm a huge design nerd. So <laughs> when it looks great, uh, it makes me, uh, relieved. Like I, it's great. Cause I, like even the Valiant books too, like the logo, all the, that's the design treatments of everything or whatever is always good. So I know that they Warren and Dinesh have great taste. So I don't have to worry about it. You know, there's other books where if I let it go and then it comes in, I'm like, I was like, okay, <laughs> was like, let me, let me tell you what I want. Exactly. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a horrible control freak, except when it's not right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that, you know what? That's the thing. It's it's kind of like lettering in comics. If it's done correctly, nobody notices it. You know, same yeah. thing with with the design. If it's done correctly, nobody really notices. It. But when when it's done incorrectly, you notice. You know, yeah. it, it can ruin the the story. So. Uh, really important. Well, it's been great talking to you, Matt. Thanks so much for for taking the time. And uh, I, I think not necessarily officially announced, but you do have uh, Megalith coming up with uh, with Bad Idea. Uh, yeah. More ideas percolating over there. I mean, I'm sure we're not going to see all forty, but um, I mean, should we expect to continue to see your work at Bad Idea for the foreseeable future? Yeah, yeah, we'll see all forty. <laughs> we will. <laughs> But uh, yeah, definitely. There's a bunch of stuff. The hero. We didn't even talk about the hero trade and all those little short stories and how. Oh those yeah, let's happen. touch. Yeah, let's touch on that a little bit. Those are those are so interesting. The B side stories, the backup stuff. David uh, Lapham, um, and and they aren't overtly connected. Yet it all seems like it can be in the same universe. I don't know if you're uh, allowed to say, but how fun has has that been? No, it's been great. I I. What's funny is I wrote the first. I wrote the first two stories. I wrote the first story is just like a. It's the one with the guy in the trunk or whatever, and he's selling the pieces of the superhero. And uh, and um, and then the next one I wrote, um, I'm trying to think of what order they went in. But the next one I wrote, I was like, oh, oh, you know what? That's what it was. After I wrote that one, there was another thing where I'm like, oh, this is, this is a. It was like a fun sort of like dark superhero story. I was like, but it's. I was like, oh, it has this other little meaning to it, you know. And then so when I was going into the next one, I was like, okay, I was like, I know that. I was like, I don't really want to write superhero stories anymore, but I'm going to be writing these. And I had a, an idea for a handful of them. And I was like, well, okay, well, when am I... So every one of them, I told Warren, when they're all done, they I would love to see a collection of them. And I would write an essay that you would read afterwards uh, with... And I never do this, but like sort of explaining or sort of like explaining every what they are. You know, because they're one thing and then there's something else altogether. And... And sort of just writing an essay because really it is like there those are visual or sequential art essays on like my thoughts on the comic book industry mm. and, and uh in general they're not about not about superheroes but just about comic books and being a creator right and, and uh and so that 
I'm those I am writing consciously, knowing that that's what they're about, but also trying to keep them just super dark, fun superhero stories. But uh, yeah, there's a few more of those that are in in the works. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, and I could totally now that I so I didn't necessarily pick up on that, but now that you're saying it, I'm like, yeah, I hundred percent see that. Hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. You know, reading so comics the, for forty plus years now, following the industry, and yeah, selling somebody on the back of a car. Yeah. Have you read the one? Is the one come out yet? Yeah, the suit, the briefcase one. Yep. Okay. So that read that one again and read it as if there's the guy trying to get into the comic book industry is on the outside, and the guy that's trying to get out of it is in the in the. Yep. Yep. Like that is super funny and also horrible. <laughs> yep. Yep. It goes back to that old what's the old uh, uh, kind of trope how whenever so, or, or cliche whenever somebody figures out a way to get into the industry they they close that door <laughs> and somebody else yeah. comes along they got to find it. Yeah. Right. Right. And then, uh, but yeah, what's funny to me is the guy finally gets out of the end, but then you see all the other little dead guys in the in, yep. inside the case. Yep. Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty dark, but fantastic. Um, uh, well, it, do you have anything else coming out that you want to uh, let our our listeners know about? Anything else to to kind of promote? Um, trying to think. I, Fear Case, the last issue, of Fear Case might have come out or comes out soon, and then, uh, I, boy, a lot of stuff in the works are about to debut. Crimson Flower, I just finished. Um, and then Berserker, if you've heard of Berserker, that... <laughs> yeah, I think a few of us have heard of Berserker. Oh, I don't need to... Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look like you're having a blast working on that as well. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's also fun, man. I can't complain about anything. It's just been a it's been a fun, fun run. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to think, uh, as, a, as a creator, working on a book like Berserker's got to be cathartic, you know, because it's just... All out action, you know, blood and you know, bullets and swords and whatever. And it's just like, ah, get all your angst out in the pages of that story. Yeah, no, no, it's uh, it's good. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, uh, again, Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if people want to follow along with you, know when some of these things are these announcements come for for new work that's coming. Where's the best place to to follow you online? Um, I'm on Twitter, Matt Kent, and then uh, Instagram, Facebook. All the usual places. Just Google my name or search the my name. <laughs> Great, and I'll put uh, I'll put links in the show notes, everybody, to Matt's social media. So if you're having trouble finding him, you can go and click there. Uh, and like we said, the best thing you can do to make sure you get your bad idea books is, is find a bad idea location store and pre-order. If there's not one in your area. There's plenty that do mail order. You, you really you really want to be reading these books. They're absolutely fantastic. So. Uh, thanks again, Matt. Great, uh, great to have you on the show finally. And uh, you know, look forward to the return of conventions and uh, maybe that bad idea panel and, uh, and getting to hang out a little bit. Yeah, sounds good. So, uh, to you listeners, as always, want to thank you for your support, and we'll talk to you next time. All right. So, we really want to thank Matt for joining us, and uh, just a, re- a reminder to be sure you go and follow his YouTube channel, subscribe, click that uh, little bell so you get notified whenever he has content coming out. He did tell me uh, after we stopped recording, he forgot to mention he's specifically going to have some bad idea content up on his channel uh, real soon, some uh, so you can watch him do some of the the drawing for bad idea and whatnot. So, uh, if you're a big bad idea fan, you want to see Matt work in progress, uh, be sure you go and check out his YouTube channel. So uh, now, as promised to uh, Warren Simons, I have my own focus group here. Uh, My daughter and her friend are going to tell us what they thought of Walesville. So again, all ages books, super fun. And now you're going to hear directly from uh, some younger 
readers uh, what they thought of the book. So we'll start with you, Sarah. Uh, what did you think of Walesville and Rocks and Minerals? I really liked it. Um, I thought it was funny how Jack kept pooping on the crab's house. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Yeah. And what about you, Aspen? Did you did you really I, like it? I really I really like the story and I also agree with Sarah. One of my favorite lines is, um, dang it, Jack, stop pooping on my house. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, pretty funny. Uh, what about you, Sarah? Any any favorite lines from Walesville? Um, mine is probably the same as hers because that was really funny to me. Well, Aspen, for several days since you've read it, you've been walking around the house saying, "What's a whale?" Yeah. So or, that's. Or I'll, say, or I'll or I'll walk around the house and I'll be like. You need a roof for your roof roof. Oh, that one's also really good. Yeah, that's my probably my favorite line. Uh, you're going to need a roof for your roof roof. Um, well, let me ask you, Aspen, because you, you've read other comics. Do you think this is a, a comic that just about anybody who's old enough to read would enjoy? Yeah, I think, I think that it's more, well, I wouldn't say relatable. I think it's, okay. It's, I feel like out of all the ones that I read, it could happen more than the other ones. Like, no humans have laser eyes, but still. <laughs> but, I mean, you can get swallowed by a whale. That's, that is true. It's just very, very rare. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe there are, I mean, who knows? Maybe there are towns. There are whalesvilles inside whales. Uh, yeah. So, Sarah, did you think that the whole... Uh, theme of, of Jack wanting to get back to his father was that something that you can relate to? I mean, you both have uh, dads that are very involved in your lives, so was that something that you liked? Yes, very much. <coughs> his name is Wade. Oh, sorry, Wade. Why did I say Jack? I don't know. You said Jack. <laughs> yeah, Wade. That's right. I don't know why I thought his name was Jack. Yes, his name is Wade. You're you are correct. Wayne or Way. Uh, okay, but what about Rocks and Minerals? Um, I know when you finished reading it, Sarah, you said, well, I th or maybe it was while you were reading, you said, well, this story makes kind of makes sense. What did you mean by that? Well, it was probably during the Queen's story, probably because it does make sense, probably because we, like, walk on them a lot and, and drive on them and break them and if they were actually alive i don't think they'd appreciate that <laughs> that's probably true uh what did you think of rocks and minerals aspen um, i i also i agree with sarah um although i guess they didn't know that we are oh, we as humans are called humans because they call yeah. us soft skins I mean, <laughs> I mean they're all rough so it makes sense but yeah like yeah, like they make building, like we make buildings and roads and streets yeah. and everything out of them. And then um, there was one part um, where two of the rocks were just walking and there was a duck named Bob. Yeah, there's a duck named Bob. You think that's a funny name for a duck? Yeah, like I would 
like me, I would pick like quack quack or something. Yeah. I mean, he said like quack like 12 times. Yeah. Um, did you guys think that the rocks and minerals story was kind of about belonging and finding a place where you're accepted? Or did you think it was kind of about something else? What did you think? I thought it was about like being accepted and where you belong. Yeah, be I also agree with Sarah because like um what was this? I don't remember what the um <laughs> weird rock's name was. Oh rock. Um but like he needed to get back to a pond because he couldn't live in a oh elephant. Oh. Because he was really a turtle? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Elpis couldn't live in dry land. And the other rocks were willing to even get in trouble to make sure that he could go back to where he belonged. So I thought that was that was cool. It was showing that they cared and that they felt that, you know, being Elpis being where he belonged was important and they were willing to help out with that. So that was pretty cool. Now, what about... Oh, go ahead. You and one other lesson is don't be a snitch. <laughs> like, don't if, be a snitch. Like, think about yourself. Don't care what other people do. Okay, what what about the art? Because the art in Walesville is very sort of detailed and a little bit stylized. And in Rocks and Minerals, uh, Tony Millionaire is the artist. Adam Polina is the artist and the Walesville story um, and Adam Polina and Tony Millionaire, they're very different styles. Like I said, sort of stylized and detailed in Walesville and um, a little more kind of blocky and maybe more traditionally cartoon like in rocks and minerals. So did, do you guys prefer one art style over the other? Did you like them both? What did you think about the art? We'll start with you, Sarah. Um, I really liked both arts. Like, I really did like that it was detailed in the um, Walesville, but also the rocks and minerals one was it. I kind of preferred the Walesville art because I felt like it had a lot more work into it mm. than rocks and minerals. What about you, Aspen? I think that I like rocks and minerals more because I I like the more cartoony look. I mean, they probably have the same amount of effort put in. It's just that those two styles are different. And and there are different styles in pretty much everything. Yeah. So that is true. So would you guys say that you would recommend to your friends to to read this? It's it's worth worth your time and it's funny and you guys will be referring to it and quoting lines yes talking yeah. about roof roofs and what's <laughs> yeah. whale stop pooping on my roof every time you hang out probably for a while at least yeah, yeah. okay well uh thank you too for for joining me and giving us your opinion on whalesville you heard it everybody uh straight from i did not pay them <laughs> they're not being paid to be on here sorry girls sorry girls uh, but yeah, you're getting their their honest opinion of um, of two not well one nine one ten year old uh, of what they think of uh, of Walesville. So uh, we thank them for their time. Once again, we thank Matt 
for joining us. And we thank all of you for listening and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.